What is going on, you guys? My name is Justin, but you can call me Jay Swag, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk with Swag. Appreciate you stopping by, giving a listen, and hanging out with us here on this toasty Wednesday afternoon. Um, <clears throat> currently 84 degrees and sunny, no clouds in the sky up here in Westport, New York. It's pretty hot. Uh, may not sound super hot for you. But for us Adirondackers, that's pretty dang hot. Um, and I'm sweating. We're at that point in the year right now, you know, where we got the fans out and the fans are going, but we don't have the ACs quite in yet. We have window units. We don't have those in yet because, you know, it's a hot week. It's going to be hovering in the mid to high 80s all week. But then next week, it's going to be back into like the low to mid 70s. So it's like, uh, did we bother getting doing the whole thing to get the ACs out now? If we're not even gonna only gonna use them for a couple of days, or did we just kind of gut it out for this week? Be hot, um, but have some fans so we have some cooler moving air, and then you know not have to put forth the effort for the air conditioners yet. So that's what I went with. Um, as you can see on my face here. A little bit, a uh, little bit sunburned yesterday. Went for a post run, post work run yesterday, uh, and the sun was beating down on me the whole time. So I got a, a little bit of color, you know. So people can be like, "Oh, did you go to the beach, or did you go on a nice like tropical vacation, or go down south to like a Florida maybe?" And I'm like, "No, I went for a run in New York State, Upper New York State." So. Anyways, that's not why you're here. If you haven't already clicked off of this, I appreciate you. Um, you know the deal here. We're here to talk about sports. And today, we are going to talk uh, basketball. And we're going to specifically talk about the Heat of Miami and the Celtics of Boston. Boston. Um. Yeah, so if you've been living under a rock, then you would not know that the Heat uh, soundly defeated the Celtics in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals to move on to a matchup, a date, with the Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals starting tomorrow night, June 1st, presented by YouTube TV. Um, it's just a little joke. If you've been, been watching the games, you've seen all those commercials. Um, and so I wanted to talk... A little bit about Game 7 and a little bit about the Celtics kind of moving forward now. Where do they go from here? Um, because, you know, they definitely have some things they need to think about. But I want to talk about Game 7 first, and then we'll move to the future outlook for the Celtics here. Um, let me get a quick swig of water. So, <clears throat> the Heat go up 3-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals on the Celtics. Um, Celtics storm back uh, to tie it up 3-3, going back to Boston for a Game 7. Um, teams that were down 3-0 in the playoffs... Um, were zero and one hundred and fifty in coming back from from down o three uh in in the NBA playoffs all time. So never been done. Celtics were looking to make some history and be the first to ever do it. They got it back to a game seven, which has happened four times. Either this was the fourth time or it's been done four times before. Um, but those teams all lost game seven. But the distinction here was that no team who came back from 03 to force a game seven had home court advantage like the Celtics did. So they did, in their own way, make history that night. Uh, just not the history they wanted to. 
And uh, they made a lot of history this postseason in the past couple of years that they haven't been wanting to make, uh, which has been a theme for the Celtics, which, again, we'll kind of get to in a little bit. But first of all, anyone who's going to sit here and say, well, the Celtics were the better team, but dot, dot, dot. Um, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And if you've listened to the show before, you know how I feel about this and how I feel about that excuse. I think it's super lame. I think it's lazy. Uh, I think it's, you know, rose tinted glasses. It's just like refusing to accept any portion of reality, which is the fact that your team lost or that team. I mean, typically it's the fans of that team who are making that excuse, but there are definitely some media members who will say it as well. And it's just, bottom line, that team lost, so they're not the better team. Because if they were the better team, they would have won. I just like, it's literally so baffling to me that people will say that. Um, and, you know, then you can make the arguments oh, well, Tatum was injured. Um, okay, Tyler Hero was injured. And Victor Oladipo was injured. Hasn't played. Tyler Hero only played, I think, five minutes for the Heat in this postseason. Victor Oladipo played, I think, 50 minutes in total in the first round and went down in game three. Um, they also didn't have Gabe Vincent for a game. Um, they also had Kevin Love who had injuries. So it's like, normally I don't accept the injury thing to begin with because it's like, okay, like your other guys need to step up then. Um, which again, we'll get to uh, with Jalen Brown. But on top of that, it's like the Heat have been playing down two players this entire postseason, one of which is their second-best offensive option on the team. 20-point-per-game score that you lost. Um, now, did Tyler Hero going down unlock some new things for them with you know Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin? Sure. Yeah, it definitely did. Um but the Celtics didn't unlock anything with Tatum with his ankle, you know? So I just, uh, I don't like that whole thing where it's, you know, well, Boston was the better team, but dot, dot, dot. Because whatever follows that is not a good excuse. Um, and also, if you're considered the better team, you shouldn't lose um, three games at home in a seven-game series. You just shouldn't. If you're the better team, you win at home. That's it. Um, so I'm just I'm I'm I've heard those excuses in years past. I've already heard it this year for the Celtics, and I've heard the injury thing. I get it. Tatum was injured on the very first play of the game. That was a huge, huge blow for them. Again, I get it. I'm not trying to take that away from them. That needs to be considered for what happened with the Celtics. It's a huge unfortunate unlucky blow but again the heat were playing the entire postseason without tyler hero and without victor oladipo um the you know teams find ways they need you need to have good depth that makes you a better team is having good depth and not just being so top heavy um it relies on your other players being able to step up when needed again Celtics, Tatum goes down. He stays in the game because he's Tatum and he, you know, you're better off with him playing on one leg than, you know, trying to play Grant Williams 45 minutes. Um, So Tatum goes down. Brogdon is out with, or I mean, he's back in technically with his tendon being torn, but, you know, you could tell within the first... 45 seconds of him playing in game seven that he was not right. Um, So you're like, all right, Celtics have Tatum and Brogdon basically useless. Jalen Brown, now is your time to step up. You're an all-star. You're, you were second team, all NBA. Um, You are making a case for first team, all defense. You are constantly complaining about not getting the ball in your hands enough, not being able to take your own shots enough. You're constantly complaining about not getting the respect you deserve and that you are owed a Supermax extension. 
Game seven, your guy, your number one guy is is playing hobbled. Here's your opportunity. Earn that money. Earn that extension. Quiet the haters. Quell the doubters. Prove everyone wrong. What does he do? Has a career night. Eight turnovers. Never been done by a Celtics player in postseason history. Um, I think he shot like one for seven from three. Um, he shot like nine of like 21 or something from the field. Um, three offensive fouls, five personal fouls. Doesn't step up. Marcus Smart. Malcolm Brogdon's down. That's your backup guy. That's your sixth man of the year. What are you going to do? You're going to step up. You're going to make some smarter shots, make some better plays for your teammates. No, you're going to keep flopping around. You're going to take way too many shots that are contested and not good shots. You didn't step up. Al Horford, how are you going to fill in the role? Shoot terribly, not be comfortable with the ball, not shoot confidently, didn't step up for his teammates. Joe Maz, bad rotations, barely plays some role players like I mean at this point it's like throw out Sam Hauser a little bit try to get your offense going get Green Williams out there a little bit more throw Peyton Pritchard out there more who can create offense for himself you know get something going for your team but just digs his heels in and they score a season low 84 points in their season ending game so So many people, I mean, you could even look at Tatum and like, I'm not trying to bash him and say that this loss is on him because it was a very unfortunate, you know, play where he twists his ankle on the very first play of the game. I don't know how severe it was. You have to imagine it was very severe because he couldn't move on defense at all. And um, he had to be helped up off the bench every time he was getting up, you know, during timeouts. Um, anytime he like landed on it or put weight on it, you could see him very visibly grimacing from the pain. So not taking away from him or anything like that, but the amount of comparisons and impressions that he's done of Kobe Bryant and like, my God, how bad does this guy wish he was Kobe Bryant and want people to say that he is the next Kobe Bryant, um, but completely disappeared in this game with this ankle injury. Again, I wouldn't be making these, you know, comparisons and I'm not trying to bash him and say that like they lost game seven because of him and because he turned his ankle, didn't score 40 points on a bum ankle. But I'm just saying, if you're going to consistently go out there and like ask to have these comparisons made to these players, then that also means you need to live up to that hype and that level when they played through these circumstances and he didn't, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't want to be making that comparison, but like, he's the one who brought it on himself consistently and like is wearing the same shirt that Kobe warmed up for the Celtics before the draft. It's just like this bizarro stuff of like literally like cosplaying as Kobe Bryant. But then when it actually matters for your season and your team, um, can't do it. And again, like it's really shouldn't, it's not a knock on him because it's like, you're not Kobe Bryant, dude. Like no one is Kobe Bryant is Kobe Bryant. Like probably wasn't smart half the time that he tried playing through injuries and like shortened his career a little bit, you know, but if you're going to ask for those comparisons, then I'll make them for you. And you didn't compare to Kobe. Anyways, let's talk about game seven. Let's talk some specifics. Um, Miami, especially in the second half, but throughout that game seven in the series, uh, dominated Boston when they went to the zone. Um, the Celtics could not figure it out. They did not game plan for it throughout the season. They did not game plan for it or make adjustments at all throughout this entire series. And it wrecked them. It completely wrecked them. You had... Al, For- Al Horford at the foul line who was not confident in just not taking shots at all from that spot. Um, and that's kind of how you got to break the, um, the zone. And then when they had opportunities to get threes, they were either taking bad contestant threes because the heat were challenging them well, or they just weren't hitting the open threes. So they just could not get the heat to break out of the zone because they just couldn't, they couldn't beat it. 
Um, Miami ran more plays in the zone this year than any other team in 19 years in the regular season. So it wasn't a surprise that Boston, that Miami all of a sudden is you know whipping out the zone out of left field. They've been known to do this for several like since like 2020 when they made that finals run in the bubble they were running the zone a lot um they've been doing it all year this regular season they ran the zone more than anyone else since 2004 so like i just don't understand like why boston had zero game plan for it whatsoever and didn't expect or 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 plan to expect them to pull out the zone at any point It's just bizarre. Like they couldn't figure it out, and that broke them. Uh, especially again in the second half, Miami came out in the zone, and they were full court pressing them. And Boston just like did not know what to do with it, and they looked like chickens running around with their heads cut off on offense. Uh, the three point shooting killed Boston as well. <clears throat> they shot horribly throughout the entire series, and especially in Game Seven. They had, what was it, game... There's like, one game where they, they were hot, and they shot, you know... When they shoot over 40% from three, they're going to win, but it's, like, any team really does that, right? Like, you hardly see a team shoot over 40% from three and lose the game, especially in the playoffs. Um, but throughout the series, the whole team was bad. Um, Tatum was 23% from three in this series, and... People, some people were saying that he's historically bad from three in the postseason, which is just not true because he was 39% from three in 29 games the previous two postseasons. So really good three-point shooting in the postseason for him the past two years. But this year, only 23% uh, in, in this series uh, against the Heat. That's not going to cut it. Jalen Brown, 16% in the series. Al Horford, 28% for the series he was 45 percent in the regular season second in the nba only luke Kennard made more percent more of his threes in the entire nba for the entire regular season al horford second 45 percent was 28 percent in this series um so they just could not hit their threes and part of it you know was tatum was kind of just that's all he did in game seven was just kind of sit you know at the top of the three-point line right in the corner um, and just shoot threes if he could. And obviously none of them were going in because he didn't have the uh, the lift or the elevation, the explosion. Um, he also just didn't look very confident, Tatum did, throughout the series with his offense in general. Like you could see, like he couldn't tell, like when he's bringing the ball up, you know, especially with some of these different defensive schemes that Miami was throwing at them, especially when they switched, they switched like uh, uh, so much in game seven. They switched so much um, on pick and rolls, which like threw Boston off as well. Um, but Tatum like couldn't decide, like, do I drive? Do I like kick it out? Do I, do I try to get the step back three? And it just like he didn't have the confidence that he needed to because he could get to the rim a lot against Miami. You know, we saw a bunch um, in those three games that they won. I mean, mostly in games five and well, mostly in games four and five, excuse me, because game six, really, they should have lost. Um, but Derek White saved them at the buzzer. But um games four and five like Tate you know Tatum can get to the rim and he could get to the rim against Miami he was kind of getting there whenever he wanted and he was getting to the foul line a bunch but he just kind of lost that confidence and then that also makes it easier for them to defend you and then when you have hesitation it makes it easier to anticipate you know if you're going to go up to get a hand in your face and better contest it so Tatum just needed more confidence he just I don't know, maybe he still just needs to get there. You know, he's only 25, so he's still, you know, not in his NBA prime, so to speak, which is at 27. Um, but, that yeah, their their offense just wasn't 
wasn't doing it. Let's talk about the Heat a little bit, shall we? Um, Caleb Martin. I'm sure you've heard his name a lot if you're a basketball fan uh, in the past week, but especially since Monday. Um, he had a killer game seven. He put up, uh, what was it, 26 points and 10 rebounds. Um, shot extremely efficiently from the floor. Um, he he was one vote away from winning Eastern Conference Finals MVP. Uh, Jimmy beat him out five to four. I personally would have voted for Caleb Martin because I think he was their most consistent player. I know Jimmy put up like 26 a game in the series, um, and Caleb Martin only put up 19, but he was more consistent. He hit all the dagger shots throughout that game seven. Anytime Boston cut the lead to eight, seven, six, um, throughout the first, you know, 25 minutes of the game, anytime they cut it down to seven, Caleb Martin would hit that dagger shot to immediately quell that comeback. And it was usually a three as well. Um, but so Caleb Martin crushed it um, in this series. I mean, he was nine points a game in the regular season. He was 11 points a game in the first two series combined. Um, and then all of a sudden in this series against the Celtics, he's 19 and six on 60% from the floor and 49% from three, which is just stupid, right? Um, and part of that is on him and his offense and then finding his confidence in the shot. But the other part of that is on the Celtics defense um, and allowing him to get a lot of shots. And he could, they would just kind of run ISOs for him a bunch, which they wouldn't do for most other players for the Heat on offense. They'd do some ISOs for Jimmy occasionally for Bam if he had Horford on him. But it really was just for for Caleb Martin. And he like got to the rim kind of whenever he wanted. It was astounding. Um, he had the most uh, points in either a conference finals or a finals by an undrafted player since the modern draft era, which began in the 60s. Um, so... Heat culture, man. Those undrafted players. I mean, he really stepped up and was the second best player on that Heat team in that series. Duncan Robinson this entire postseason, um, but especially this series, really stepped up um, in Tyler Hero's absence. Looked a lot more like his 2020 bubble self. I mean, still not quite at that level, but that's just because they're not the same team, so things are going to be different. But he was hitting a lot of his shots. He was over 40% from three for the series. Um, Gabe Vincent... Huge, huge player for them. He was um, doing pretty well in some one-on-one ball. Um, could get past Marcus Smart. Um, couldn't really get past Derek White. And Derek White did kind of have his way against Gabe Vincent uh, in those ISO situations. But Gabe Vincent still hit a lot of really huge shots for them and had some really big games um, for the Heat. Uh, like I think it was game three, he put up like it was 30 or something, right? Wasn't it? I think they put up like 34 or something, like six or seven threes. He was killing it in that game that they blew them out um, at home. And um, and then Caleb Martin. So, you know, they're undrafted guys crushing it. Um, just very typical for heat culture. Just everyone buying in. Lowry, who has been pretty awful this whole postseason, had some really good moments in the series, especially in Game 7 to, to again, kind of similar to Caleb Martin, had some really good momentum-killing shots for them and, and, and playmaking, um, some some good defense throughout as well. Um, so he culture, baby. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with the Heat with this series is do we think that this – is the best Cinderella story of all time in NBA history. Not all sports, but in all of NBA. It's a little hard for there to be a Cinderella story in NBA because like with March Madness, it's like it's it's you know single elimination. So you could have a 16 seed um, you know, make it to the final four because all they gotta do is win, you know, what is it, 64, 32, 16, 8. Win four games. So what it takes to win a series in the NBA gets you to the final four in March Madness. You know, so you win those four games, you're in the final four and you're a Cinderella story as a 16 seed. 
But Miami, as an eight seed to be a Cinderella story to make it to the finals, has to win 12 games to get there, right? And those wins are all coming against, you know, the same teams who can adjust and they get to see you again, right? Because four of those wins were against the same team in the Bucks. Four of those wins were against the same team in the Knicks. And four of those were against the same team in the Celtics. Um, they beat the Bucks in five. They beat the Knicks in six, and they beat the Celtics in seven. So each team had their chances to adjust and to game plan. But the Heat won four games in each time, and that's all they have to do is be the first four. And they did it. And um, so I think it's, it's, it's different to be a Cinderella story because it's not quite as like sudden, so to speak. Like It takes a lot longer. Um, and you can lose... You know, what was it? They lost three, five, six. You can lose six games in the same postseason and still be a Cinderella story and make the finals. Whereas you lose once in March Madness and you're done. So all that to say, the best, you know, low seed performance in the playoffs. I don't know. I'm just going to keep calling it a Cinderella story. Um, we all have heard this before, but just goes without mention. you know, I can't go without mentioning it. They're the second eighth seed ever to make it to the finals. The other team was the 99 Knicks. And if you haven't been listening to podcasts or radio or TV, you would know, you wouldn't know, I guess. The Knicks, when they did it as the eighth seed in 1999, that was a shortened season um, due to the the boycott or the CBA. Um, so it was a labor-shortened season. And the Knicks finished only six games behind the number one seed, whereas the Heat were, I think, 14 games behind the number one seed, maybe even 15. Um, And the Knicks in 99 had the biggest payroll in the NBA by, like, quite a large margin, uh, and the Heat did not. So definitely different and more impressive of a, a finals run than that Knicks team. Um, we already mentioned Hero and Oladipo have been out for the entire postseason. I mean, Oladipo went down, went down in game three. Um, so, you know, not the entire postseason, but they were already up. They were already tied 1-1 at the point, the time that he went down in the first round against the Bucks, and obviously hasn't played since. Tyler Hero hasn't played at all since, like, the whatever that was midway through game one um, when he broke his hand. Um, the Heat had a negative point differential this year, which if you don't know what that means, that means that if you total up the scores from every single game that they played in the regular season, uh, they scored less points than their opponents in total combined over the whole season. Um, the last team to make the finals with a negative point differential the 1959 Minneapolis Lakers. So that shows you how rarely that happens. Um, Going into the Eastern Conference Finals before game one, ESPN gave the Heat a 3% chance to beat the Celtics and make it to the finals. They had Boston at 97% chance to win. They overcame all those odds. After losing to the Hawks in the first play-in game, the Heat were plus 20,000 odds to win the finals. Plus 20,000 odds. I've never heard a number that high before for odds. (laughs) Ever. But they were plus 20,000. And that's the other thing that I kind of just glossed over that some people may forget or not know. The Heat were, after the end of the regular season, the Heat were the seventh seed. They played the eighth seed Hawks in the first round of the play-in tournament to determine who would be the seventh seed. They lost that game by double digits to the Hawks. So they lose the seventh seed. Now they play the Bulls for the eighth seed in the second round of the play-in tournament. And they're down with like five minutes left in the fourth quarter, they're down like eight points to the Bulls. 
and they went on to come back from behind and win that game, beat the number one seeded Bucks in five games, beat the number four seeded Knicks, or sorry, the number five seeded Knicks in six games, and then beat the number two seeded Celtics in seven games. And now they're going on to play the number one overall seed Denver Nuggets in the finals. Who, oh, by the way, they're the Heat are plus 250 to win the finals. Um, and the Nuggets are like minus 380, I think. So not favorable odds again for the Heat. Um, but it begs the question, does that matter? And the short answer is yes, it does, right? Because Ryan Rosillo mentioned this on his podcast the other day. You know, if you look at a team who has a negative point differential in the regular season, um, is 20, what was it? I think 26th in scoring, 28th in three-point shooting, um, no top 10 guys on their team. Um, they are the seventh seed with like, I think 43 wins. They lose the first playing game, almost lose the second playing game to barely hang on to the eighth seed. Yeah. I'm going to bet against them every time, right? Like I'm not going to pick them. Like that's not good. That doesn't look like a good team on paper, but as someone else mentioned, uh, I can't remember their name, unfortunately. I think it was Kirk Goldsberry. You know, the Heat don't look like they're going to win on paper. And on paper, it looks like the Nuggets are going to run away with the series. But that's how it's looked in pretty much every single series so far for the Heat this year. But they don't play on paper. You know, that's not how Jimmy Butler plays. That's not how Bam Adebayo plays. That's not how Caleb Martin plays, Right. If I told you, if you if you looked at Caleb Martin after the regular season, you saw, all right, nine points a game. He was an undrafted 24-year-old rookie by the Hornets. Um, was on a two-way contract, gets waived. Gets picked up on a two-way contract by the Heat last year. Gets converted to full-time. Um, DNPs in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Um, in their game seven. You wouldn't believe that I'd say, oh yeah, he's going to average 19 and six on 60, 50 shooting splits and be the most consistent heat player the whole series in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like you, that, you can't see that on paper. That doesn't happen on paper. So in a very quick preview for the, for the finals, I still like the Nuggets, right? Like like I just said, like I'm still not going to pick that team because it's also impossible to read them on paper or and predict what could possibly happen. I think the Heat are going to give the Nuggets their best competition so far in the playoffs. Um I think Bam might be able to give some interesting defensive looks against Jokic. I think it'll be interesting to see how the Nuggets adjust to the to the zone, but I think at that same time, I think the Nuggets and specifically Jokic will have the most fun and be the most dangerous against that zone to break it pretty quickly. Um, so I think it's going to be an entertaining series. Uh, I think it's going to go Nuggets in six. Um, I think we'll probably get pretty similar to like the sun series where the nuggets will take the first two at home. It'll start to look rough, but then the heat are going to figure some stuff out. You know, the nuggets, which we have seen a little bit in this postseason, maybe take their foot off the gas a little bit and coast a little bit in Miami for games three and four, um, get a little complacent. The Miami heat will make some adjustments and figure some stuff out. They'll win those two games. But then I think the, the Nuggets come back and win the next two um, and win it all in six. That being said, I personally already don't bet at all on sports, but if I was, I wouldn't be putting money on this series because I don't think the Heat are going to win, but I wouldn't want to bet against them. 
and I would not want to bet against Jimmy Butler. So that's the Eastern Conference Finals. Now we need to look at the Boston Celtics and what they do moving forward. Because to me, it's pretty clear that something needs to change, right? They've made a lot of Eastern Conference Finals appearances. They've won one of them last year, barely, you know, against the Heat. Uh, But they did it. And then kind of collapsed in the finals last year a little bit. Um, And they've had a lot of disappointing exits from the postseason, you know, since 2018. Um, And I think it's at the point now where you can't just keep running it back, so to speak, especially with this new CBA that's going to be going into effect this year. Well, technically next year, but it'll affect this offseason. Um, because basically with the new luxury tax, luxury tax and, um, you know, soft salary cap, um, with the different aprons of the luxury tax, there's some moves that the Celtics can't really afford to make. And if they do, they're going to be paying heavily with that luxury tax and the second apron that they would be over. Um, The biggest thing is with restricted free agent Grant Williams, who, you know, is probably going to be a $20 million a year guy in the open market. But the Celtics cannot afford to pay him that um, because that'll put them in and over the second apron. And then I'm not going to go into all the details about it. You can look it up yourself because it's also just very confusing. But basically that then really hamstrings the team if they go over that second apron of you can't sign any veteran minimum guys, you can't sign any um, mid-level exception guys, you can't buy anyone out in the buyout market, you can't trade. um, Something to do with trading future picks as well. Some of those ramifications don't go into effect until the 24-25 season, but some of them start this next season, so... It basically comes down to, you know, they can't really bring back Grant Williams with the current team and salary that they have. Um, So they have some decisions to make, you know. Um, But that's one of the lesser decisions they have to make. I think the big two that everyone's thinking about and talking about right now is head coach Joe Mazzulla and Jalen Brown. So Joe Mazzulla, rookie coach, painfully obvious that he was a rookie coach throughout the regular season, throughout the postseason, and especially in the Eastern conference finals against, especially against a coach like Eric Spolstra, who just wildly outcoached him from the first minute of the series. Um, Boston fans didn't really love him the whole season to begin with, but the team still finished second overall, you know, won over 50 games made to the Eastern conference finals Made, you know, it just is very obvious that he was inexperienced and it's, you know, it's a question for the Celtics of, you know, will they, you know, make a decision on this? Got a phone call, so I was a little distracted and lost my train of thought for a second there. But essentially what I was saying is, The Celtics, oh my goodness, I am sorry. Hold on a second. Oi. My apologies. I am back now. We're good. Um, so what was I saying? Joe Missoula. Is this the team, you know, this team right now has been knocking on the door of a championship for, you know, about five years, the core of it. And is Joe Missoula the coach that you think can get you to the promised land and win you that championship? Some some people will say yes, some people will say no, right? Like there's just straight up different thoughts, trains of thought on on this. Um, I personally don't think he's the right call, but I also don't think he needs to just be completely let go. Um, 
I think he would still be a good assistant coach like he was last year, but they need someone with more veteran experience. I don't know if like Monty Williams is the answer for them. Kenny Atkinson could be a good shout. Um, there could be, maybe they try to look at some college coaches. I know that the uh, University of Houston coach, I believe, has been taking some interviews. Um, I would not do a reunion with Doc Rivers personally, um, but I think they just need someone with more experience in general. Like, I think Joe will get there in 10, 10 years' time, so to speak, you know, as a head coach. But right now, for his inexperience and the the stature of this team, they need someone with more experience who could have coached them better through this postseason. Again, definitely not 100% on him, um, but he definitely shares the blame. And I think they – I don't know if, you know – if Ime Yudoka was still the coach, I don't know if that changes their their output and they, you know, they are the ones in the finals right now. I don't know if it makes that big of a difference. It it could, but I think it makes enough difference for this prime that you have, extended prime of Jason Tatum that you need to take advantage of with the best coaching you can offer him. I just don't think that Joe Missoula is that. Um and then the third thing they need to look at, obviously, as I mentioned, Jalen Brown, which everyone's mentioning, which is really unfortunate for him because I do like him as a player. I think he's very talented. I think he's an all-star caliber player. This year he was, you know, an all-NBA caliber player. I think there's a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of injuries <clears throat> at the wing position. So he, you know, got a little bit of a free ride into second team all-NBA. But again, not to say that he wasn't deserving of it this year because he played great. But he's not the defender he used to be. He still can't dribble more than twice. Um, he's not consistent enough on offense where he can bail you out or step up when you need him to uh, if your number one option is down. Um, he's got some attitude issues. He's had a lot of you know, interesting press conferences and quotes in the media, um, in interviews throughout this year. Uh, about Boston and the team and his his role there. <clears throat> um, so that being said, is he worth bringing back on this team and keeping him with Tatum? Yes. Is he worth the five-year, $290 million Supermax contract extension he is now eligible for? No. And that's where the Celtics really need to make some tough decisions because they this team, I think, is better off with Jalen Brown on it and keeping the Jays together, right? Him and, and Tatum have a great bond. They work really well off each other. They seem to kind of figure something out this year. Um, their chemistry has never been better. Again, they're both still not 27 yet, so they're still... You know, we're still waiting for them to, hit, you know, hit their NBA primes. But that being said, Jalen Brown is just simply not a $50 million a year player, right? He's just not. Um, 30 to $35 million a year? Absolutely. That's a great deal. You sign him for it. But he's eligible for the super maximum the Celtics which starts at, I think, $50 million a year, and by the end of it, by the fifth year, I think is close to like $65 million a year. And he's just not worth that kind of money for them, especially going back to this new CBA and the repercussions it'll have with them very much so going over the luxury tax. They're going to be really hamstrung, and they can't really do much with the team then and, and their role players and getting a supporting cast around the two of them. So the Celtics need to figure out, is it worth basically running it back again with the same team and not having many options at the trade deadline or in the buyout market leading up to the playoffs? Or do you try to try, try to find a trade suitor um, and get pieces? Do you either try to get a equal value piece back? Some people have thrown Damian Lillard out there. Um, 
or do you try to get multiple pieces back and kind of just build around Tatum being your number one guy and you're kind of getting Jalen Brown's value in two or three guys, right? Um, you know, there's some options of they could try to float, you know, get Jalen Brown out to Portland and get back Anthony Simons and the number three pick potentially. Um, but then it's like, what do they do with the number three pick? Do they think that'll be good enough, quick enough to be a good supporting role for, for Tatum? Um, you know, either Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. Do they try to trade with the, the Rockets and try to get their number four pick? Um, so they can get, you know, one of the Thompson brothers. Um, maybe Scoot Henderson's even available then. Um, do you try to, you know, trade with the team to get a couple pieces? I'm trying to think of who would be good. Um, you know, maybe you try to trade him to Atlanta and get back, like, Bogey and John Collins and their pick or something like that. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it, but just the principle of it of, you know, you may not have a ton of suitors for Jalen Brown, but if you do, do you try to get a win now equal value superstar like Damian Lillard? Do you try to leverage someone's pick who may not be wanting to use their pick like the Blazers, like the Rockets, maybe like the Hornets even? Um, or do you try to get the value back, you know, in role players to just really surround and beef up that roster around Tatum? Um, so those are the big three. I think they're looking at this off season. What do you do with um, Grant Williams? What do you do with Joe Maz? What do you do with Jason or Jalen Brown? I think you could also look at, you know, their role players of like, do you try to bundle him? Put Jalen Brown or bundle the other role players even like Smart is not the same player he used to be defensively. Um and his offense is getting more and more erratic. Horford losing his legs. He's gonna be thirty seven next year. We saw it in this series. He was gassed and he lost his confidence in his shot. Do you try to like put those two guys together and maybe, you know, couple them with uh, Sam Hauser or Peyton Pritchard to try to get back, you know, equal value in one player, you know, get someone like a, uh, a Jeremy Grant or something like that from Portland, you know, it'll be very interesting for Boston moving forward. I think they have a lot of big decisions to make. Um, I don't envy those in that position. And I also do not envy Celtics fans right now because the fan base is definitely going to be very torn. Whatever ends up happening, if they end up signing Jalen to the, the Supermax extension, there's going to be some people who are thrilled to bring him back. And there's going to be some people who are going to be upset and think he's getting, getting overpaid for the turnovers and, you know, lack of consistency. Um, if they trade him, people are going to be upset. People are going to be happy. You know, it's just, it's going to be very interesting. Um, I'm very curious to see what they do this off season. I mean, they, I don't think they're going to wait. I think they probably maybe try to stagger if they do sign, you know, sign Jalen this off season and sign Jason Tatum to his supermax extension next year um, to try to leverage the books a little bit for that. But regardless, the new CBA kicking in is definitely going to hamstring them a little bit with their off season moves this, this year. Um, so we'll see what they end up doing, but that's kind of all I have to say about the Celtics and um, and about the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, finals start tomorrow night. I'm very excited. I'm going to be staying up to watch all 48 minutes of every game. My sleep schedule will hate me, but I just don't care. Basketball is too important to me. Uh, I am very excited, though. I think it's. I think it is going to be a good series. Um, I should see some very good basketball being played. Um, I'm not really rooting for one team over the other. I was talking to a buddy of mine last night about this. Like I may end up de facto kind of rooting for the nuggets a little bit, 
But like, I think it's a great story either way. Either you get Jokic finally winning that championship and establishing himself as the absolute best player in the entire world um, and winning the Nuggets their first uh, title in franchise history. Or you get the Heat making the ultimate Cinderella run, the first eighth seed to ever win the finals. Jimmy finally gets his championship and gets to cement himself as a top 10 player in the NBA right now and a surefire Hall of Famer. Um and establishes the Heat as one of the best franchises um, in this century, right? Um, we'll see. I think, it's again, it's going to be great. I'm just looking forward and hoping for good, close games every single game. Let's get seven games out of it and really milk this thing. Um, let me know what your guys' thoughts are. Um, who do you think is going to win the finals? Um, what do you think the Celtics should do this offseason? Um, send me an email sportstalkerswag at gmail.com uh, hit me up on social media Facebook and Instagram are sportstalkerswag Twitter is stwscast uh, we go live on the Facebook page every Wednesday for a uh, video live stream of these episodes but if that's not your thing or you can't make it you can always listen to the audio format of this show on Spotify um, Apple Music Google Podcasts Amazon, Stitcher anywhere you get podcasts you can listen to this show Leave us a five-star rating anywhere you can. Uh, we do appreciate the feedback and the uh, constructive criticism of the show, but make sure it is uh, enveloped in a five-star rating or um, or the Heat are going to sweep you in the finals. I don't know. Just give us the five stars and we don't have to think about it and we'll be good to go. But with that all being said, I do want to thank you guys for listening and for hanging out with me in the live stream. I appreciate your support in the show as always. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Peace.